The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, this is the part of the podcast where it's just Ethan. Noah and Brandon have left, and I have taken the podcast hostage. This podcast will now be dedicated to talking about only numbers. There will be no more fun. There will be no short hops. There will be no tall tales. Well, it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. All right, we're, we're good to go whenever you are. Welcome back to Short Hops and Tall Tales, a pitcherless podcast highlighting the romantic elements of baseball that make America's pastime special. Uh, I'm once again joined by the magnificent Brandon Riddle, and we are excited to bring you another episode packed with weird baseball. Our guest today is my good friend and all-around dope data analyst, Ethan Moore. So Ethan is one of the most exciting young talents in baseball today and made his mark as the director of analytics and the video coordinator at Cal Poly Baseball in San Luis Obispo before being snapped up by the Minnesota Twins in February to join their baseball research department. Ethan, super excited to have you on the show and joining us today. Yeah, what's up, Noah? Thanks for that uh, glowing introduction. Um, thanks for having me. All right, so let's just quickly go through a brief rundown uh, what we have on deck for today. Uh, so we're just going to chat a little bit with Ethan about his experiences working in a front office and that side to baseball. Then we're going to go into the pickle jar once again, talking about punch and Judy hitters, uh, which was a term I did not learn about until no, very recently. No, it sounds like something from the like 1820s. Yeah, right. Very, very old, old timey baseball broadcaster uh, sounding. And then from there, we're going to debut a brand new segment that I'm very excited about. It's a game called Rent, Extend, Cut. Uh, you can, I guess, kind of figure out what we're going to be talking about. We'll get there in a second. And then finally, we'll be closing it out with the sweet spot, talking about our favorite baseball video games, uh, some of our favorite games to play growing up and now. That's an entire hour conversation right there. Yeah, well, well, we'll try and pack all that in here, but it's not a featureless podcast if we don't say we're going a little little long at some point. <laughs> so, Ethan, super glad to have you on the podcast. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I originally met Ethan at Cal Poly, where he was heading the baseball analytics department, and I joined that team prior to the 2020 season. Uh, obviously, 2020 didn't really go as planned, so we got shut down a little bit early, but that's 
originally where I got to know Ethan and he's just been one of the friendliest uh, and really just most willing to share his his baseball knowledge uh, with me and with many other people. So it's really, really cool to, to have you here uh, talking with us today. So having joined the Minnesota Twins, my question is, how early did you know that this was what you wanted to do for a career? I figured out that this is something I wanted to do um, pretty early on, probably uh, I'd say senior in high school um, was kind of when I figured out I'm not going to be playing baseball past high school, but I still love baseball. I still want to contribute. I want to help a team win a World Series, right? That's kind of the goal for for everyone who works in baseball, um, whether you're on the field or not. So yeah, that was that was kind of when I figured it out and you know, I was good at statistics and enjoyed it. And I was like, all right, this, this job exists. So, you know, why not go for it? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's cool. And I guess my follow-up question is, were you more stats minded first or was it the baseball that brought you into the world of stats? That's a good question. I think, um, I think it was the baseball that brought me into the world of stats. You know, I'd always kind of been like looking at the backs of baseball cards, um, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. guzzling up all of the fun facts that were on uh, Sports Center and stuff like that. Um, so then when it was like, oh, you know, there's kind of a deeper level to this um, to kind of be able to ask a question and answer it. And there's kind of like these rules that you have to follow um, yeah. to, you know, get a better answer. And then, you know, I kind of wanted to learn about those rules. And then it turned out that I really enjoyed um, statistics and the analysis of other non-baseball things as well. So um, it was kind of just a good pairing. And like, I'm just really lucky that a job like this exists that, um, you know, blends these two <laughs> things that I just happen to enjoy. Yeah. And, and it feels like that's the trap that a lot of people fall into. Like they enjoy baseball and then they start learning more about it and they learn about what the average is, how to calculate that, the slugging, OBP. You go OBP plus and you have or then you have so many more in-depth statistics you can dive into. And it is an absolute trap because you just want to watch baseball. But then you learn how to dissect it and watching it, even though you can break it down into just pure numbers if you want to. It also helps you enjoy the game more when you actually know it to like a microscopic level. So exactly what's going on in the field. Yeah. When I started uh, learning more about the game of baseball, like I, I totally changed how I watched the game and. You know, I, I kind of went from being a fan who would cheer for like home runs, right? And and now I'm more of a fan who's cheering for like a well executed, you know, change up or something, you know, or I, I'll watch a pitch <laughs> and be like, oh, the vertical movement on that pitch was probably an outlier, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it's totally different. But um, but yeah, it's it's interesting how the more you learn about the game, it kind of changes how you watch it, you know. Yeah, you, you go from from just looking at batting averages on the back of baseball cards to suddenly it's four in the morning and your eyes are bloodshot because you've been staring at fan graphs and baseball savant for for seven hours, <laughs> exactly. right? Not, um, not not from personal experience, of course. Oh, of course not. Of course not. Yeah, just just talking for a friend. So now going more into your experience, you know, at Cal Poly, uh, what what was it like to really help to build a baseball analytics team um, essentially from the ground up? Yeah, I also have a more dumb question for listeners <laughs> as well um, and myself. What exactly does a baseball analytics team do for a baseball team, for example? Yes. So um, so early on when I was a freshman, I was like, OK, if I want to work in a front office, eventually um, a good way to kind of practice that or to kind of get started now um, is to kind of do that, but with a college team, right? Basically what we're doing is using numbers to try to help the team 
uh, win by making better decisions when it comes to mm-hmm. who should we play or what should our strategy be in game, preparing for the opposing team with like advanced scouting, stuff like that. So it, it did not happen overnight. There was something that, um, you know, I kind of had to work my way up and we started, um, you know, doing kind of field maintenance and then keeping the book during the game um, on mm-hmm. like an iPad, right? Which is uh, kind of... Wow, fancy. Yeah, kind of kind of prehistoric now. Um, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just called it fancy. No, well, it was, it was fancy at the time. I mean, that's kind of all we had, but um, that was in 20... 18. So, you know, three years later, the, the types of stuff that we were able to get, um, you know, to use, you know, basically now is, um, kind of totally on, on a new level. So a little before track, man, a little before track, man. yeah, now we're (laughs) tracking, you know, tracking the flight of the ball 30 times a second, uh, every second for an entire game and getting, you know, 70 different metrics based on that. So it's, it's pretty, pretty different than an iPad, But, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of how it worked. And now, um, we built the program up from basically being just me to having about 10 managers, which at one point wow. included Noah and then now Jack Dwyer and Ben Mengelsdorf are um, heading up that department as well for this season. So um, they're doing a great job. So yeah, I, that's where we are. You know, definitely as, as a data analyst, I'm sure you've run into this a handful of times. How do you navigate differences in philosophy with coaches and other members of the staff that may hold a more traditional point of view? Yeah. So our coaching staff was a bit more traditional um, when it came to how to view the game, which totally makes sense because they had been there for a long time and obviously been coaching baseball longer than I've been alive. So it's like there's not really much compromise, right? It's just kind of like you're working for an employer who wants to do things their way and that's totally justified. So, you know, your job as a manager for a college team is to, you know, do basically do what you're told to do, um, which in our case was look at all this data that we have on on the players that we're going to be playing coming up soon and, fig, you know, give us the information that we want, which a lot of the times had to do with like, you know, who are the players in the lineup that are going to be able to do damage who are the guys that we should pitch to and, and make sure that we're not walking because they're probably not going to do much damage if they put the ball in play. Um, those are just kind of some examples. So uh, there were some times where I disagreed with um, some of the decisions being made, but at that point, really all you can do is just kind of have a conversation and um, try, try to, you know, try to bridge that gap a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Brandon. Yeah. Um, so I know a lot of the people and like myself included would love having a baseball related job. But is there a point that you've discovered in your you know, years of doing baseball now that it has become a job versus an enjoyment of watching baseball? Like, has has that threshold happened or do you think it was going to happen where you're focusing on the numbers and that this is your job you need to perform versus, you know, just enjoying the game for what it is? Like, are you able to differentiate that at all? Yeah, um, that's a good question and something that I think is important for people to realize if they do want to get into this line of work is that it really is a job. So if, for example, like if I'm doing baseball data analysis, um, which is more or less what I do, the job is extremely similar to if I was doing data analysis for a different uh, non-baseball company, right? Like you still have to like doing data analysis or at least like be prepared to do that kind of work. Um, It's basically just the different uh, data that you get to work with, right? So um, for me, I, I prefer working in baseball to, um, to not working in baseball, but at the core level, it is a job. And so there are times when, you know, I don't want to watch baseball. It's like, you know, when you're a fan, it's like, <laughs> I'm just trying to get all the baseball I can. I love it. You know, yeah. it's, 
it's super cool. And now I'm like, okay, I just spent, I just spent the work day, um, doing baseball related stuff. You know, I, I kind of don't really want to do that right now, which is something I didn't really anticipate when I started working in baseball. I, I kind of didn't think that that would happen. And, you know, I've, I've only been working for the team for, uh, about two months mm-hmm. now. So it, the, the burnout could increase, uh, later on, hopefully not, but yeah, no, right. it is a job for real. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll let Noah get the actual questions coming up. I just have one last uh, follow-up to that. Um, you've been working with the Twins now for, you said, a couple months, uh, but you grew up a Rockies fan. Um, so are you, like, switching allegiances to the team that you're working for them? You're around them? You know the philosophy? You're getting to actually know the front office folks? And then you just kind of fall into becoming a fan of the Twins instead of the Colorado Rockies? Yeah, so I did grow up a Rockies fan. Um, the My connection to the Rockies is, is mostly just as a fan, right? So now being a part of a team definitely takes the, um, my interest <laughs> in their success, uh, you know, to a yeah. new level. So yeah, I'm definitely more invested in the twins now and, and it's my job to do what I can to help them win games. Right. So, um, I obviously have an interest in them doing well. So, you know, I, I still keep tabs on the Rockies, but they've kind of made it really easy for me to just totally pivot to uh, <laughs> like, okay, this is my new yeah. MLB team now. Cause, yeah. yeah. So you, you hear that Minnesota twins, Ethan is all in in your success. All in, let the record show. <laughs> yeah. Now this is more, I'm just kind of curious because obviously MLB teams, they have their own proprietary stats and data uh, that they use to assess players. Now, without delving too deeply into specifics, what would you say is probably like a, a ratio of team created stats used uh, to maybe like publicly available stats that, you know, the rest of us use it like fan graphs or something like that. Is, is that something you can, you know, maybe estimate? Yeah. You know, I, it's not, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, like frame it like a ratio because it's not like team created or um, publicly yeah. available. A lot of the team created stuff is just kind of like uh, an evolution of what is ex- what exists in the public, right? So without the public work, I don't think teams would be where they are um, because a lot of people in the public have done a lot of work to um, kind of further our understanding of the game. And then um, teams just have the resources and kind of the the employees, right? The, the man hours and then the financial resources to um, kind of go get the data that they want and and create kind of a better version of what exists. Um, I think that's kind of in general. So the stuff that teams use is probably that kind of like enhanced version of what exists in the public. But um, yeah, it's it, there's still a lot of reliance on the, um, you know, the public stuff that's yeah. out there. So it seems like they really just use the stuff you have to pay for for baseball reference or fan, fan graphs. Like they pay they pay for that subscription. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's even data that like I didn't even know existed that um is oh, it, cool. it's really just, you know, it's just very expensive data and for a, a public yeah. analyst like I was like there's no way I was going to pay for that. Um but if you're a if you're a, you know, massive MLB team like you can afford to mm-hmm. to go buy that, you know. And there's all sorts of those, you know, private companies cropping up now with, mm-hmm. you know, the next new camera. Um, the, the technology is just evolving super fast, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of along those lines, last year, we created a really cool statistic, Quality of Stuff Plus, which measures pitch quality uh, and attempts to value velocity and movement. And super cool. It was a major part of Eno Saris and the Athletics Command and Stuff series. So what was the process like for you to refine your metric? And what were some of the challenges that you had to adjust for along the way? 
Yeah. So quality of stuff plus that was kind of the, um, the end result of a big kind of year long project that I was working on, um, on my own. Basically when quarantine started, I kind of sat down and said, okay, I want to, um, create a metric where every time the pitcher throws a ball, you know, we can put a number on how good was that pitch, um, or how bad was that pitch, right? So if, if he hangs a curveball down the middle, intuitively as baseball fans, we know that's a really bad pitch. Um, so I kind of wanted to put a number on that, like, okay, how many, how many runs would that, how many runs would the offense score if he threw that a hundred times or something like that, right? Um, mm-hmm. So for a curveball down the middle, a, hang, a hung curveball down the middle, that's going to be a really high number. Um, and then for, you know, a really well dotted, you know, fastball on the outside corner or something like that, that's going to be a really low number. So that's what I was going for. Um, my first attempt was really not good. Uh, I was kind of just applying some stuff that I had learned in class, uh, but I hadn't learned kind of like the heavy <laughs> duty um, types of models yet to to do that. So um, then over the summer, I just kind of iterated and, and try to, you know, better model types and better model types and change the methodology a bit. And, you know, quality of stuff plus is kind of what came out at the end. So yeah, that's, that's, uh, it was a cool opportunity to work with Eno. Um, he's one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite, uh, you know, public baseball writers. So the opportunity to work with him was great. Um, kind of along those lines, were there any insights that you, that came up in your research that did really surprise you or that you weren't expecting? Yeah. So for me, the biggest one was that, um, so the quality of stuff, this metric that I created, it doesn't take into account where the pitch is located in the strike zone. Um, but I did have a different model that did account for that, um, which is just, it's very similar. But the thing that I learned from that other model that included pitch location was that the best pitches on average are the ones that are in the strike zone, but like obviously not right down the middle. So the pitches that are in the strike zone, but kind of on the edges, um, which makes total sense, right? When we're thinking about it. But a lot of the times when you're looking at like, you know, lists of like best pitch of the day or whatever, a lot of the times those pitches are like super nasty and they get swings, but they're like way out of the zone, right? So they're, it's like a glass now curveball that bounces and gets a swing or, you know, mm-hmm. a slider in the other batter's box that gets a swing. Um, but I kind of, you know, working on this project made me realize for every time a guy gets a swing on one of those pitches, there's a few times where the hitter doesn't swing and that's a ball. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm curious if in the future, maybe in one you're currently using, if you can bring context into it as well, like what were the previous pitches like? Did he set them up in the prior at bat to get that one bad swing with this good pitch? Like that's a whole nother dynamic as well and not just dependent on a single pitch. Yeah. So the early on, like I, I made that decision to have this thing be like context neutral, right? So like in a mm-hmm. vacuum, what, what would we expect? Yeah. And, Absolutely. and one of the better pieces of feedback I got on this project was like, you know, pitches don't really happen in a vacuum, right? Pitches happen exactly. consecutively. Um, yeah. You know, the who the batter is, is important. Um, what the count is, is really important. Um, the, the score of the game, whether the, you know, whether there are runners on base, all that's important to you know, how good is a pitch? And those are things that this model did not take into account at all. So yeah, I totally agree with you that like, there's, yeah. there's some room to grow in that way. You know, And that's, that's, that's such a hard thing to compute as well. Multiple at bats, multiple pitchers, even maybe in, throughout different games in the season as well. But that's, you know, a big project on the take, but still that's the fact that you brought that in and you were thinking about that earlier. That's really neat. So just more taking a step back here. Uh, 
What's your biggest surprise been from your experience working in the majors so far? I know it's just been a, a handful of months, but what, what's something that you weren't expecting? Um, I, I think that it's just like how much teams have like access to um, when it comes to, you know, I, I had heard previously that teams are, you know, the, the kind of adages that teams are five to 10 years ahead of the public when it comes to analytics, what they know. Um, kind of like the information that they're using to make decisions. And pretty, pretty quickly, I, I was like, okay, I, I understand um, what that <laughs> means, right? I, the public does great work, but imagine what the public could do if they had a team of like 10 people working 40 hours a week around the clock on these problems, right? It's like the amount of, the amount of projects that um, teams are able to get done and, and then use to make decisions um, is really just mind blowing. I was not, I really didn't know what to expect coming in. I was like five to 10 years ahead. How am I supposed to know what that looks like? Um, yeah. You know, it's like, I can't see the future, but, um, but then when you see it, it's like, oh yeah, okay. That, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for, uh, for being generous with your time. Uh, we're going to move on into our next segment now, the pickle jar. And this is where we bring you down, Ethan, to our level. Uh-oh. <laughs> just crude just, baseball just, fandom. Just, just weird baseball. We're done, yeah. we're done now with the fancy analytics and numbers. We're going to get into the mud. I'm ready. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so the pickle jar. Uh, so this is, once again, the segment uh, each week where we take one of baseball's many odd slang terms and we take it to somebody who is not as familiar with the game. And we ask them, you know, what are your ideas? How did this happen? Where did this term come from? <laughs> um, so this week's term is a punch and Judy hitter. And now, Ethan, I'm actually going to put you on the spot. Uh, you don't. Just, just what's if you haven't heard of the term, what's your best guess as to what it might mean? Uh, I so yeah, this is a term that I've never heard of. Surprisingly, um, well, maybe unsurprisingly, because I you said that you hadn't heard it either, right, Noah? Yeah, it's it was it's pretty obscure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't know. It, it doesn't sound like it's particularly uh, complimentary. <laughs> punch <and> Judy. <laughs> it. Um, I don't know if the punch is relating. I don't think it's relating to fruit punch. I don't know. I think I'm, and you said hitter, so it's related to, mm-hmm. related to offense. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe just a bad hitter. That's that's my guess. Okay, yeah. that's that, that's that's solid guess. Uh, Brandon, I know, I know you asked your friend uh, Liz what she have to say. Yeah, so I, I didn't ask Courtney this week. I, I asked Liz. I apologize to Courtney. And uh, Liz said uh, it's punch and Judy hitter is when somebody slams into third baseman and then rushes home. Hmm. So like, okay. like runs them over, like, like, trucks I, I guess them. like, like, like trucks them over the base and goes home, go punch. And that's Judy. very, and it's a very old school play. <laughs> well, it sounds like an old school saying, like when you first, I first read punch and Judy today for the first time in my life. And before reading the notes later on, I thought about the puppets that had like the big, like wooden mallet and hit each other, like punch and Judy, the puppets. Mm. So it kind of made sense hitting each other like that. Um, but because I had never seen this term before, I kind of, trying to think about what it was like and the first thing i thought of when i saw judy was like judy johnson um the third baseman in league leagues who was a heck of a hitter so i thought just a really good you know spray hitter across all fields so that's okay. kind of what i was thinking okay yeah i i like i said i very recently heard this uh reference in brockmeyer uh the show with oh. hank azaria as the degenerate baseball announcer um <laughs> 
don't watch it with your kids. Oh, definitely not. Uh, but I asked my my friend uh, Nick Lampy, I and he gave me a very colorful answer, and he said that a Punch and Judy player is a guy who gets into a lot of fights. And he gets ejected and goes home to his lovely wife named Judy. Oh. So he's very fiery on the field, but he's a very nice family that man at the end of the day. Absolutely delightful. I love it. I like that. We've got we've got a good a good uh, you know very very creative variety of yeah. of but, definitions tonight. But what is it? What is a punch and Judy? Okay. Hitter? So a de- the definition for a punch and Judy hitter, uh, you're close, Brandon. It is a slap hitter, a batter without much power. You know, someone who hits a lot of singles. So like David okay. Fletcher would be a punch and hit uh, a punch and Judy hitter today. Um, you know, Ichiro could be considered a punch and Judy. Don't, hit, hitter. don't have many of them left today. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Not so much. Not one of the, the three true outcomes, unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, the origin, it, it actually was the term itself in regards to baseball. Uh, it's attributed to the former Dodgers manager, uh, Walter Alston, who uh, when he was asked about a home run by Willie McCovey said, uh, when he belts a home run, he does it with so much authority uh, that it seems like an act of God. You know, you, you can't cry about it. He's not a he's not a punch and Judy belter. So I don't really know where he got that reference from because that it kind of makes sense in the context of yeah, he's obviously you know he's going to hit a home run so so hard. It's really no question. And, and I also want to point out the phrase: "It seems like an act of God." How cool is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Willie McCovey. I mean. They call it McCovey Cove for a reason. For a reason, absolutely. For a reason. Um, but then we did some more research, and we turned up that Punch and Judy uh, was actually a 16th century puppet show. What? So that's super weird. I have no idea where the connection to baseball sprouted, because that that line from Walter Alston was the first connection we could find. So really just one of those odd out there terms that baseball's kind of adopted into its its terminology which i hope comes back there, there's a number of terms we've talked about on the show that i want to come back like uh yeah punch and judy uh muffinism is a term i want to come back uh, i think there are a couple others uh the baltimore chop that's one i haven't heard before either and that was a cool one i want to come back so yeah we, we should bring these retro vintage lexicons into our sure. current vernacular. Absolutely. After learning about what a punch and Judy hitter is, I think that I identify as a punch and Judy hitter from my, my playing days. <laughs> <laughs> Magnificent. All right. So on to our next segment, uh, the brand new segment that we're debuting today, it's called Rent, Extend, Cut. Basically, what we're going to be doing here is I'm going to be presenting the group with three baseball players, and we've got to choose one player to rent for one season, uh, one to extend for the rest of their career, and one to cut from the roster. Now, because we are short hops and tall tales, are these like three current players? Like, can we dive back into history and pick three out? What are we doing So. Here? So we're definitely going for for my sweet spot of of late '90s, early 2000s hitters uh, because okay. I I can never get enough talking about you know that generation. Um, so like I said, we're each going to come up with our our own three rankings here. Uh, you don't have to approach this from purely an analytical standpoint, but that can be your focus if you want. How you make your argument is all up to you. So the contestants this week we have Ichiro, Mike Piazza and Todd Helton. Okay. My, my next question is, okay. What, at what age are they being presented to us? Like, are they 35, are they 25? Pro oh, my goodness. Prime. Prime. Whatever, whatever Prime. age Prime. that is. Okay. Now three I, fairly different hitters. Right. Overall. So it's, it's going to be a preference thing. I think is my, my first I think, thought. 
I think I know my cuts. Um, do you have any okay. initial thoughts, Ethan? Are we playing in Coors? <laughs> sure, you can play in Coors. Oh, well, that changes that changes the, the <laughs> equation there. Only Todd Helton's playing in Coors. Everyone's at their at their home ballpark. Okay. Piazza's in New York, I guess. Okay, so three Hall of Famers. Which of them do you not want on your team? I think my <laughs> initial my initial reaction is just going by positional scarcity. Mike Piazza might give us the best value here um, because he was not just a great hitter at his for his position, but he was just an out, outstanding hitter overall. Uh, that said, I absolutely love Ichiro, so I think I I think Ichiro is going to be the one that I, I I build a statue of for sure. <laughs> I can't can't get enough of him. He'll bring in you know a ton of international money for the absolutely. team. You can't go wrong with Ichiro. And I I think out of the three, Ichiro was the most fun to watch. Like I love Todd, I absolutely love Todd Helton as an NOS fan, but Ichiro just wasn't uh, so yeah. much fun to watch. Also underrated is that Ichiro is going to be giving us value uh, for like more than a decade. Um, True, my man was playing deep into his forties, so um, that's important as well to consider. He was on the Marlins for a long time in those Miami years with like D Gordon. I think we kind of we kind of just you know he was in Miami and they weren't really doing much at the time, we, we but he was he was out there a while. Reasons, yeah, yeah. Fun fact: yeah. I was at his um, or I witnessed his three thousandth hit, which happened at Coors Field. It was a triple. Nice. That's incredible. Yes. That that's that's outstanding. Wow. What was that like? It was amazing. Yeah. So I was in um, right field, second deck. Um, I. I went to the game before because uh, he was sitting at 29.98, I believe. And I think he only got one hit. So I had to come back to the next game, got whatever okay. ticket I could find um, in right field, second deck. And if you watch the video, he pulls it in the air, basically directly at me. So I was thinking, is this going to be, you know, there aren't that many guys who have hit um, a home run as their 3000th hit, right? I think it's just yeah. Boggs and Jeter, maybe Jeter. Um, yeah. yeah. So so I thought in that split second, you know, that I might catch Ichiro's, you know, 3,000th hit. Um, it, it pulled up a little bit short and hit the wall, um, bounced around, and, and Ichiro got all the way to third, making him maybe the first player to get a triple for his 3,000th hit. I'm not quite yeah. sure about that. But um, if, if you go back and watch the highlights, can you see yourself in the stands? Was it that close? Uh, I, be- I think I could. Like, I don't think that you could uh-huh. if you didn't know where I no. was. Yeah, I, yeah, I could probably yeah. find myself, yeah, on the uh, – on the highlight, cool. which is pretty sweet. That's super cool. I, I remember seeing old, like 38 year old Ichiro uh, at Dodger Stadium uh, when Miami came over, and it was the coolest thing ever yeah. because I had never seen him before. I didn't care that he was hitting like Fun 200. Game. Yeah, right. So, so, so it sounds like Ichiro is our extender for multiple reasons. He's my extension. Yes. Yeah, okay. I agree. Who are we cutting? I hate to do it. I hate to do it, but do the first base being the position now that it is, and that you have Mike Piazza as a catcher with the bat that he has. I That's think you got to, I think you got to cut Helton, which kills Oof. me because I love Helton as like the team leader, but Piazza True. is just a solid rinse as in the, a position of catcher. He can field and hit the way he does, and also he's a game team. changer. Yeah, absolutely. I think you got to rent Piazza in my mind. Ethan looks very pained right now. Yeah, uh, as as the Rockies guy, you know what are what are you thinking? Todd Todd was was there for me when no one else was um, <laughs> during the uh, during the 2010s Rockies. But um, you know, 
I think you can find you can probably find a Todd Helton uh, if we are digging through the crates for prime era, of, you know, yeah. prime first baseman. I don't think Todd's going to do much for you in one year if we're renting. So, um, you know, great defense, great defense. But, but prime Todd Helton, it's it's like saying, oh, you can easily find the Hall of Fame first baseman somewhere in the wastebasket. No, it's this prime Todd Helton who was an incredible player. That's true. But he just happens to be going up against an equally, possibly equally great hitter. I don't recall right now, but as a catcher, which yeah. value makes his value skyrocket. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, Helton definitely is that is a as a defensive guy, and Piazza probably doesn't give you that oh, yeah. that defense. I would, I don't know about this from an analytic analytical perspective, but Mike Piazza probably was not the best pitch framer, <laughs> which is something yeah. we now know can be worth a lot of runs if you're really bad at it. It can be it can be detrimental. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Piazza's bat in the middle of your order. I mean, I, I would love to have that for a year, you know? Absolutely. So that was a lot less controversial than I was <laughs> expecting, to be honest. Seems like we're all on the same page. I was expecting at least somebody to go different. So, okay, just just to, you know, put the final ink on it. I'm extending Ichiro. Piazza's my rental. We're, we're dropping Todd Helton. That hurts. It Sorry. hurts, but it, it has to happen. Yep. Is, is, that, is that what y'all are doing, or, or are there any alterations? Is that the consensus? If Piazza was any other position, I'd go with Helton. But for what it is, yeah, yeah, I agree. that's what I'm going to do too. Un- unfortunately, I hate to do it, but yeah, I think that's the move. <laughs> yeah, and what's really interesting is, so I picked out these. I picked out Ichiro and I picked out uh, Piazza at random because I felt like they represented two very different styles of baseball. And when I was looking them up, uh, just to kind of like think about who I wanted to argue for, it was really wild how close they are in war. Wow. Um, so it ended up being a pretty fair discussion after all, I think. Uh, so finally, I, I know we've we've been waiting on this all night. Uh, we're at the sweet spot. The best baseball video games. Uh, what were some Ooh. of your favorite baseball video games to play growing up? What are your some some of your favorite games now? So, so it, it feels like I had a different availability of baseball games at my young age versus y'all's um, young uh-huh. age. Uh, so one of my favorite games I remember was actually coming to me now. It was called Bottom of the Ninth. It was a Nintendo 64 game. Okay. And this would have come out in 1998. And the MVP that year of the Rangers won... Help me out. Juan Gonzalez. Juan Gonzalez was MVP yeah. that year. He definitely stole the MVP. He wasn't supposed to get it, but there it is. Oop. He was on the cover, and it was just this really clanky, bad baseball game. But because it was a baseball game, being the person I was, I was all in on this. And then my friend at the time for Nintendo 64 also had Ken Griffey Jr. Presents. Ooh. And that was yes. like the holy grail of baseball games in the 90s. And I, I still remember the opening credits is like, um, what did he say? I think he just said Ken Griffey Jr. And it was great. <laughs> that's going in the soundbite, by the way. The, the, that, so. that specifically is going that in the soundbite. Yeah. Uh, but that was so much fun. I feel like you, you could track the ball better. You can hit it. The fielding was basically as realistic as you can get for 1998. Uh, so growing up, those were definitely my two games until I got to high school when a whole new generation came out. Uh, what I think is funny is when we have these conversations about like old video games, you think like to what you played in your childhood. And I know when I was playing, you know, even even stuff on my Game Boy, I was like, wow, these graphics are, mm-hmm. you know, 
wild and now you've got mlb the show which is pretty much photorealistic yeah. <laughs> which always trips me out ethan what were what were some of your favorite video games so for me it all started with backyard baseball um yes 2003 i have a photo of myself playing backyard baseball 03 in 2003 um on an old imac so um that's my prized possession is that photo um and that disc which i still have but um that is where it all started for me and then i kind of moved on to playing um on the Wii I was in I was part of the Wii generation yes. um I was playing MLB Power Pros 2008 um heavy Japanese influence in that game uh Daisuke Matsuzaka on the front um that game was so underrated the career mode in that game was so much fun because you it was weird because I remember you could literally there's like lifestyle stuff like you could get married, uh, <laughs> sign sign like, you know, merchandise deals. That's that's a slept on game. Yeah. You know, I wasn't too big into the career mode. I was kind of just like wanting to play with my favorite players. That was right when I was getting into like watching MLB. Um, yeah. You know, the the I got into baseball in 2007 with the Rockies and then they make a game in 2008. Right. So it's like, you know, all the all of my favorite players are in there. Um, so, yeah, that was. That was really cool. And then when I got a little older, I moved on to the Bigs 2 on the Wii. Um, oh, yeah. Also some great memories there. That is... Uh, that yeah, is... I remember that game. <laughs> yeah, that it was insane. Just, you know, 105 mile an hour fastballs and nukes that would, you know, hit the St. Louis arch. Stuff like that. Playing... <laughs> Playing baseball, pinball, and having like a home run derby in Times Square with with a big poppy yeah. in his prime. Yeah, I remember that, that was a whole a whole era. Yes, I, I remember the game uh, MLB Slugfest. This was like NFL Blitz, yeah. but for baseball. I'm assuming it was like the predecessor to the Bigs. But I remember running the bases, and my buddy would tag me out, even though I was safe, because he would just punch my player, and he would go off the bag. Like, oh <laughs> man, he got me out just because he punched me. That's not fair. <laughs> but yeah, so kind of the same scenario. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was that. You know, I feel a little bit of FOMO. I think I missed out on MVP Baseball 2005. Yeah. Never played oh, that Manny. game. That's that's the big one that, that I, gets brought up all the time in these conversations, yeah, that, that and I never got right in yeah. my sweet spot. I was 15 when it came out, and in the video games, and when that thing came out, uh, was that the one with Miguel Tejada and Johnson on the cover, or was that with Pujols? It was Manny. Oh, Manny. Even, Manny. Even later. Yeah. yeah. Like even those like four years in a row, I spent my life in the show and franchise just, you know, wheeling and dealing teams, getting the Diamondbacks to the World Series again. And the soundtrack absolutely hit. Um, but for what it's worth, I think the best MVP isn't 2005. It is NCAA baseball. Wow. Uh, this is this okay. was right. Yeah, this is right after the the um, EA Sports lost the, the rights to MLB. So they went to college uh-huh. and you could create your own field. Uh, dimensions you could put it 500 feet in or 500 feet out 200 feet in whatever you want to do uh, you go on recruiting missions to recruit people and just really build your ballpark and your your college team and again great soundtrack and that was the first game to introduce a stick mechanic for pitching mm-hmm. uh, so and and for batting as well so it was a lot of fun a lot of nostalgia That's ncaa baseball yeah i was i'm with you ethan in that i was also a member of the the Wii generation <laughs> Uh, and, and I'm not going to lie. Wii sports is slept on as a baseball game. I am undefeated in Wii sports baseball. <laughs> Cannot speak on my bowling abilities, but, uh, that, yeah, I, I literally have been playing it, uh, the last few nights. Not, not even going to lie. Uh, also, I played a lot of MLB 2k eight. Uh, I think had, had Jose Reyes on the cover. 
Um, cause the Wii remote, they had a bunch of cool like mechanics when you could swing it around. Uh, Mario super sluggers was a big mm. one. Uh, that's when I was, I, I was introduced to the Waluigi train before it was cool. Just, just to <laughs> be a weird hipster for a second. Uh, but backyard baseball, I think that was it. Yeah. Like I remember rushing home every day from school, hopping on our dusty old computer and playing backyard baseball. Uh, <laughs> you know, obviously Pablo Sanchez, number one overall, uh, though I will s- I will say I actually played uh, more of the 3D version 2005. Uh, so oh. a little different, but yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the inferior backyard baseball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did um, either of you ever play Stratomatic? No, I, I have You know, not. I, I tried I've to get into this, it. Yeah. Did you? Okay. I, think, I think it was, I was like, I had already been introduced to all the virtual um, kind of digital oh, baseball okay. video games. So then when like the coolest game from the pre-digital era, when I was introduced to that, like it just didn't, it just wasn't the same for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think now if I, like if I was 15 playing Stratomatic, I'm not sure how into it I'd be, but, but now, for example, I think I would love that game. Mm. I, 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 cause I, I could see myself jumping into, especially with the, the 2020 everyone's on zoom during virtuals. Yeah. You know, you try doing like, for example, D and D over the, uh, well, it, it kind of is like like baseball Dungeons and Dragons, right? Yeah, you know, I was going to say that. Yeah. We should get a Stratomatic Zoom League going. There, hey, there's an idea. That's a great <laughs> idea. And then we can have a Brockmire character just give us narrations of it all. Ooh. Oh, there we go. Um, so just to, just to you know, put a bow on, on this conversation, um, Brandon, I'm not sure if you played. Did you play any backyard baseball? You know, I never played backyard baseball to my show. Uh, mm. uh, okay, so you're gonna need to go online and get an emulator or something. <laughs> okay, for this, but for I know Ethan, all about it. for Ethan, who are your go-to guys in backyard baseball? So, who is your number two overall pick off the board? For me, it was Barry Bonds. Um, okay. I liked. I just thought that like he was large, like his head was very big. Um, he was indeed large <laughs> in real life too. They they got that right. Um, but yeah, he was my guy, Ken Griffey Jr. You know, it was interesting, Noah, that you picked Ichiro Piazza and Helton in our, in our previous game. Cause yeah. those were three go-tos in, um, in 2003 backyard baseball. Um, Ichiro was extremely fast, not as, not as, uh, not as fast or as good of a player as Pete Wheeler, but, um, okay. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I used all the pros, like a lot of people, reminisce about using the the kids yeah but outside of pablo like i was just trying to mash with who i called mike pizza and sammy soda you know that's that's so funny (laughs) because i have a distinct memory of playing uh 2005 and i hit a bomb with mike piazza and i ran out to the living room and told my dad i was just like do you know anything about this mike pizza guy (laughs) and he just kind of laughed at me um that's that's interesting because that was the same it would my team would just be stacked professional players and then pablo sanchez playing shortstop and that was pretty much it um i think my overall my go-to guys 2005 definitely eric gagne uh he he was he was pretty nasty Ooh, fun fun story about gagne okay Uh, so in the 2000s i forget exactly what year he put together like that 50 plus consecutive save streak yeah that one ridiculous Um, 
the 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 game that was ended the streak, which against was against the Diamondbacks in the ninth and bottom of the ninth. And I was there in the right field bleachers because the ball, of course, the ball that ended the streak went over my head. It was an absolute bomb. Wow. So that was wow. a fun memory. Yeah. Uh yeah. Okay, so so finally, when you did pick a a player that was not a professional player, who was who was like your go to? You know, I like I mentioned earlier, I, I was a fan of Pete Wheeler. You know, he had the speed. He was a mm-hmm. little quirky. Um, he, I mean, my man could run the bases. That's very important in that game. Yeah. Um, so he was my guy. You know, uh, what what do you think about Pete Pete Wheeler, Noah? So he keeps he keeps harping on Pete Wheeler because I have this completely irrational hatred of Pete <laughs> Wheeler for whatever reason. <laughs> I, I don't know how it started. I just knew that like I was always bothered by him when I was a kid playing baseball. I, I I have no idea. I don't think it's the red hair. I have red hair. I don't I don't think it's got anything to do with that. <laughs> I just disliked Pete Wheeler for whatever reason. And I'm sticking to my guns. I don't care that he's one of the most talented players. Uh, I think my 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 hero uh, Keisha Phillips. She could she could hit the ball hard. She 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 would hit it over like. You know the drive-in theater screen. Uh, also, also my I think his name was Dante, the guy with the headphones and the hot dog. I I kind of aspired to be that kid. Uh, you know, walking up to the plate, he's he's like slamming down a hot dog as he steps into the box. Um, no, we were talking about how we both used like only pros. You know. Yeah. And I was thinking back, and I was like, dude, I was probably five years old, and I at at that point was like. Why would I not use the players with the best stats? Right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, these yeah. players have this many balls. And then like the kids had like two on everything. It's like, what? Yeah. Like, I don't care about Kenny Kawaguchi's personality. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to use him. God. I, I know anyone that listened to the show over the age of 35 just like wilted into dust and blew away. <laughs> Because like if, at five years old, the Nintendo 64 wasn't even out yet for me. I was still playing regular oh, man. Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you, though, because outside of like three of the kids, they're all terrible. Like, I think like one of the Del, Del Vecchio kids could pitch decent. Keisha yeah. could hit bombs, but she couldn't do anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was about it. I really just miss like video games that weren't simulators. You know, like, because all we all we have now, we've got 2K, we've got Madden, we've got MLB The Show, which try to recreate yeah. reality it, with this, you know, super intense detail. But what happened to NBA Street and like, you know, NBA Jam or NBA, yeah. NFL, NFL Street? Was yeah, exactly. All those those really out there games. I remember there was like a, a, a Nickelodeon, you know, versus MLB All-Stars game. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet, especially with the NFL you know, as it happened in the mid 2000s, late 2000s, uh, that the more violent the video games got, the less the league wanted them to be represented by yeah, it. Yeah. So when you have people body slamming and doing all these, you know, insane acts, the league probably didn't want to be represented yeah. that way, especially the NFL during that time. And I could see MLB wanting to be squeaky clean, of course, saying, no, we don't want to punch third baseman so that ball drops and you go home. Yeah. But it's fun. That's why they don't have. Uh... They don't have fights in the MLB The Show games. It's because like you throw at somebody, but they don't show anything. Because uh, uh, yeah, I yeah. That. Uh, I, I think I think backyard baseball has to be my top spot for for baseball video games all time. Though as many as as there were, and we definitely didn't touch on nearly all of and them. I do want to give a shout out to my favorite baseball game. Oh yeah, out of, out of the park baseball. Mm. Out of the like, park. I, I, I don't care about playing the baseball or watching it. Really, I just want to deal with the numbers and get my teams going. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I haven't played 
OTP, I, I know a lot of people who play it and who really enjoy it. Um, and mm. I just haven't gotten into it, but it seems like it's a very well, realistic game. I mean, you live out of the park baseball. You don't need to yeah. play it. <laughs> All right. So that, unfortunately, is us running up on our time once again. Um, so if you're scoring at home, mark your bingo cards because uh, we're hitting the wall. So thank you, Ethan, again, for coming on the show and hanging out with us. Be sure, if you're at home, to follow Ethan at More Stats on Twitter. Um, yeah, th- it, was, it was a great time having you on and having you sharing your experience. Yeah, thanks, guys. This was super fun. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, I think you're, you know, you're scouting report on pete wheeler is a bit iffy but that's all right you know that's that's cool as far as our social media goes be sure to follow along with short hops and tall tales on twitter at short hops pl you can find brandon online at bd riddle and myself at noah a scott six uh and then if you like what you're hearing subscribe to us on apple podcasts or spotify wherever you're currently listening uh leave a review if you like or don't i don't i'm not your mom um (laughs) anyway for brandon riddle i'm noah scott and this has been the short hops and tall tales podcast see you next time Mm